0: Oh my God, chill. What happened? Oh my God. Oh, I just can't. What? We don't always mean to dress alike. Mm. YouTubers, mine looks a little different. Everyone, chill. It's actually navy too. You're in black. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much. Really looking forward to be here to bum you out. Oh my gosh. And I'm actually very excited to tell you all about this because there have been some new recent and very sad developments as of late. Oh, to God, this I case. can't wait either. I know well, I, okay, so it's Rachel's turn. it's my turn. I'm telling you all about Angie Dodge today. i pre- It's pretty well known. You all may know it, but wow, there's some there's some recent stuff happening. I know I should know it. I know that name. I can't uh, place the story. But again, I'm very foggy today. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'll tell you all about it. First, I do want to tell you top tier patrons that you are going to get another bonus episode this month. In addition to your already, you get your two. Um, you're gonna get a, a third one because Rebecca thought that my second one was not good enough. It wasn't so. up to par. Y'all deserve better. No, no, the story was. It was just 15 minutes long. It was very, very short. short. Yeah. No, so you're right. Like, mm, we they need another one. Yeah, and the other one's good. Oh my god. Okay, yeah. so you are getting three. <laughs> just, stay tuned. Coming at you. But other than that, I, I think I can just jump right in. So do it again. This has been on our list. For a while, but with the recent developments, I wanted to jump on it. And I just learned, not kidding, through a promotion, through a commercial, that Dateline's doing a two-hour special on it tomorrow. Oh, today's shit. Thursday. I know. Today's Thursday, February 22nd. They're doing that tomorrow. This will air the following in a week. So it's going to look Keith... like you followed Dateline. Mm-hmm. Really, Dateline followed you. Keith, That's... we're on to you. That is correct. Okay. I was like, I saw the tail end of the commercial and I saw a picture of someone who's I know is in this story. And I was like, was that insert name? And I just Googled it. Yep. Two hour special. Sure time. enough. Sure enough. Your stories always get aired right after the facts. I mean, it, I, I was like, this keeps happening. And then I couldn't think of examples. Carrie Farver that happened. Uh, John List and, um, the girl in the picture, uh, it was the name of the documentary. You oh, Frank Floyd? Frank Floyd. Yes. My very you. first one. Your very first one. And I was like, and that oh, one yeah. was like took place in like the 60s. Yeah. Like there was, a, there was no new developments. It was open and closed way back then. So mm. that was real. That was really weird. Yeah. That hasn't happened to me yet. I don't know why. Okay. So here we go. Sources eastidahonews.com, angiedodge.com, the case file, BBC. Judges for Justice on YouTube, The Innocence Project, CBS News, and Idaho Statesman. Oh, also a follower on TikTok's been pushing us to do this, so I just messaged her to be like, it's coming. Ah, Good news. We see you. We hear you. We're doing it. We're doing it. Angie Dodge was born in Vancouver, Washington on December 21st, 1977 to Jack and Carol Dodge. She was the youngest of four kids with three older brothers, Brent, Todd, and Roger. When she was still pretty young, they moved to Idaho Falls, Idaho. She graduated from high school in 1995 and went on to college at Idaho State. But not long, not long after starting at Idaho State, she, I guess, dropped out and moved back to Idaho Falls. Mm-hmm. It didn't specifically say that, but she moved back to Idaho Falls like within the same year. So I'm guessing she dropped out. Oh, okay. She got her own apartment and a new job at a beauty store. On June 12th, 1996, 18-year-old Angie stopped by her parents' house around 9.15 p.m. and was talking to her mom about how excited she was about her new apartment. Around 10.20 p.m., Angie left to head back to the apartment, and sadly, that would be the last time her mom saw her. Oh. The next day, June 13th, 1996, I'm going to keep saying the year because y'all get it. Mm Mm-hmm. I Angie didn't show up for her shift at work, so two of her coworkers, Julia and Tani, called her apartment, and she didn't answer, so they went over there to check on her. They knocked, again, no answer, so they let themselves in, and when they walked in, there were two trash bags in the kitchen. They also noticed a full ashtray and some solo cups on the back deck, so they figured she must have had, like, a little get-together. Mm-hmm. Nothing really seemed askew, but they're calling her name, and she isn't answering, so they walked into her bedroom and they find Angie lying on the floor, and blood is everywhere. They call 911, and police get there and discover that Angie had been raped and stabbed 14 times. Sadly, she was dead. Yeah, There was no sign of forced entry, but definitely signs of a struggle. Mm. Luckily, the killer left behind what the DNA specialist called a pristine sample of semen, Mm. as well as a couple of strands of hair. Great. I know. Police were convinced, though, that multiple people were involved, I guess, because of the brutality. So they started compiling DNA samples from dozens of men around town to see if they could find a match. Among the group they got samples from were people referred to as the River Rats. They were a group of teenagers who spent their summers hanging out by the Snake River, just drinking, being underage, having no fake ID Chill, like like the Cahaba River in Birmingham yeah. no we used I totally to do that. Get that but I did a story where they referred to them the, that group as river rats that it might be a thing I don't know it might be a thing I'm blanking on the story but I that does sound familiar yeah damn it I'm gonna be distracted trying to think of this y'all are all screaming it too. those especially new listeners who have caught up on every episode recently it was old yeah it was an older yeah, one. yeah. older one to us but we've gotten a few new listeners who are probably like, I just heard it. It's X. Yeah. Well, the river rats were a good place to start because Angie was one of them and frequented the parties by the river and where they hung out was not far from her apartment. So all river rats getting a swab, but no match. Park rats. Sorry. I bring this interruption to you by park rats. The Dana Laskowski episode. That's what it was. Anything else you want to get off your chest? No, but that was going to distract me. So now I can listen to your story. Go on. Okay. As you can imagine, this was huge news that quickly spread throughout the small city. Idaho Falls had a population of like 50,000-ish people at the time. And Angie's mom, Carol, didn't think the police force was experienced enough to solve it. When they had no leads after six months, she told the Idaho Statesman newspaper, quote, they're just not qualified. These detectives are street cops that have been promoted. So they had a lot of pressure to solve it. And Carol was not waiting around. She distributed thousands of flyers and put up a $5,000 reward for information. But when this didn't move the case forward, she started driving around late at night and into the early morning, asking anyone who would talk to her if they had any information about her daughter's death, like, which makes me so sad, just so helpless. I got to do something right. She would also show up at the police station unannounced and demand to know what they were doing to solve Angie's case and asking who they were talking to. A lot of the cops did not take kindly to this and even started calling the back door Carol door because that's how she would let herself in. (laughs) Wow. On January 5th, 1997, seven months after her murder, a guy named Ben Hobbs was arrested, arrested in Eli, Nevada for raping a woman at knife point. What does this have to do with anything? Well, Ben was from Idaho Falls and knew Angie. So Mm. cops were like, maybe he had something to do with the murder. If he's out there raping women at knife point. Sure. Look into it. Yeah. Angie surely doesn't know two of these monsters. Yeah. They questioned him and brought in some of his friends to see if they had information that could implicate Ben. One of those friends was 19-year-old Chris Tapp. Chris was a fellow River Rat who Mm. had dropped out of high school and also knew Angie. He talked to cops on January 7th, 1997, to answer questions about his friend Ben and see if there's any possible involvement. Chris is like, no, I have no idea if he was involved or really anything about the case. They brought him in again three days later for more questioning, and now they're turning up the heat because they think he's covering for his friend. The cops tell Chris that Ben already told them that he was involved. And if that's true, then Chris could be charged with conspiracy or accessory to murder, which could come with a death sentence. So he better cooperate, otherwise he's going to get the gas chamber. <gasps> he's like, like, if he's Jesus. already told you, then what do you what do you need me for? Go talk to him. All all they said, Ben said was Chris was involved. They're saying, hey, your your buddy Ben told us that you were at the crime scene. Actually. Oh, I thought you were saying they just told Chris. Ben already said that he was involved, so you might as well tell us what you know too. Like, <laughs> uh, no, then go to. They're home. saying. They're saying. The yeah. roles have kind of switched. Yeah, Ben's implicating Chris, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so they're like, if you don't cooperate, this could come with gas it. you huge. Yeah, we're gonna gas chamber you. That they said gas chamber. So Chris is like Jesus and tells them that Ben had confessed to him that he killed Angie and asked Chris to help him with an alibi, but he was adamant he was not at the crime scene. He just knew about it after Ben did it. So now they're finally getting somewhere and they let Chris go, but they arrange for him to come back again the next day for more questioning. So he's like, sure, sure. I'll be there. He wasn't there. He didn't show up. Uh-uh. So police are like red flag and they drive to his parents' house, which is where he lived. And his mom answered the door and said, we lawyered up and he and his new counsel will be at the station in two days to answer more questions. Wow. Police couldn't wait. He was supposed to go in with his lawyers on January 13th. Police could not wait till then about an hour later, they came back to Chris's house with an arrest warrant and Chris Tapp is arrested for accessory after the fact, because they still think Ben is the main person, but but they're confident multiple people were there. So they're very suspicious of Chris. He's put in an interview room and they call his attorney and now he's hired two. So they, they call both attorneys and police offer him an immunity agreement if he cooperates, but it's contingent on him telling the truth. If he tells the truth, he would only be charged with aiding and abetting an aggravated battery. Oh, okay. So he's like, no problem. Right. They give him a polygraph and ask him again if he was at the crime scene in which he says again, no. And the examiner says, you failed. Eesh. Chris gets really upset and tells him that he had gone with Ben to Angie's apartment that night. Ben wanted to confront Angie because apparently she was trying to convince Ben's wife to leave him. Like, I guess yeah. she was friends with his wife and was like, yeah. this guy's a scumbag. Get out of this. Yeah. So Ben was pissed. So he goes over there to confront him. Angie and Ben start fighting. Ben punched her, then stabbed her twice, and Chris ran. Oh, God. He, he came back a little while later, and Ben was gone, and Angie was dead. But now there's a problem. Okay. DNA samples come back, and they don't match Ben or Chris. Oh, shit. So they tell Chris, there's a third guy involved. And Chris admits that he and Ben's other friend, Jeremy Sargis, was also there. Okay. He said Jeremy and Ben both raped and killed Angie. So if it didn't match Ben's, if the DNA didn't match Ben, it will match Jeremy's. Again, he's hooked up to a polygraph test, tells this, and he passes. Oh, wow. Okay. They test the DNA against Jeremy. No match. What the hell? He also had a pretty solid alibi, so he's cleared. But because (sighs) of this- Jeremy's like, fuck you. Yeah. Because of this, the prosecution determines that Chris is a liar and rescinds the immunity agreement. Yeah. So now they're very zeroed in on Chris and think he's way more involved than he's letting on. Mm -hmm. One of the cops interrogating Chris was Jared Furman, who was a school resource officer at Chris's old school. So Chris knew him, liked him. They're chummy. So Officer Furman was like, everyone knows you're lying. But if you confess, you'll avoid the death penalty. Like, let's make this easy on you. So on January 30th, Chris confesses that he stabbed Angie to to death, but it was under the direction of Ben, who was threatening to kill him if he didn't. Again, hooked up to a polygraph. They say, that's true. You pass. What? Polygraphs mean really? I know. Nothing to me. Throughout the whole line of questioning for like three weeks-ish, he's questioned nine times. He takes seven polygraph tests and his story changes six times. So... Yeah. He was charged with first degree murder, rape, and use of a deadly weapon in the commission of a felony. His trial started on May 12th, 1998. By the way, I'm nowhere near done. I'm just saying yeah. we're not, this isn't open and shut. Okay. His trial started on May 12th, 1998, where obviously they play the videos of his interrogations with his involvement, like slowly increasing each new story and then ultimately the confession. Mm-hmm. His defense argued that it was coerced, it was a false confession, and he had an alibi for the night Angie was murdered. Here's the alibi. Okay. He had spent the night with a woman, and that night and the next morning was very memorable because his girlfriend walked in and caught them in bed together. Yikes. So he was like, trust me, I remember. She was pissed. Yeah. Nothing you can go to jail for, though. You're a cheater. You're a dick. But you're not a murderer. Well, an acquaintance of his testified that The date of that cheating scandal is wrong. It was not the day. It was not the day that um, Angie was murdered. So he's like, no, you have those days mixed up. Oh, my God. Things are not working out well for him. I know. Then a girl named Destiny Osborne testified saying that soon after the murder, she was at a party and overheard Ben and Chris talking about the murder, and Ben said that he did it because Angie owed him money. She did note that she was high on drugs at the time. So whether it's credible or not, we'll see. Mm. On May 28, 1998, he was, Chris was found guilty and sentenced to 30 years to life, so he did avoid the death penalty, much to Angie's family's dismay. They yeah. really wanted the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Ben Hobbs was convicted in Nevada for the sexual assault case, but never charged in Angie's murder. I guess because he didn't match DNA yeah. and he, he didn't confess, they really just have Chris's word. Yeah. The Dodge family's like, okay, that's great, but there's still unknown semen that has not been accounted for someone's still out there and angie's mom carol is determined to find them chris maintains that his confession was coerced and appeals his conviction several times to no avail it's denied over and over again his mom even took out a second mortgage on her house to pay for it stop i'm getting goosebumps that's so sad i know In 2007, the Idaho Innocence Project took on Chris's case and asked for the hairs found at the crime scene to be tested because Mm -hmm. they'd only been visually inspected. They never actually tested them. What? Yeah, I guess they were just way more focused on the pristine semen sample. Yeah. The hair test came back with no match to Chris or Ben. Oh, my God. In 2012, they requested that the Innocence Project of Idaho requested that more evidence be reinvestigated and tested now that technology is advanced, but a judge said no. Why? It's a lot of resources. You're just like, no, we've, this case is solved. We're done. In 2013, 17 years after the murder, there had still been no additional arrests or movement in finding whoever semen was found at the crime scene. And Angie's mom, Carol, who again was pushing for Chris to get the death penalty, started questioning if he was actually guilty. Yeah, It just didn't make sense. So she requested all the interrogation tapes and sat in her living room watching every single second of them. Afterwards, she went from wanting Chris to be put to death to fighting for his release. Oh my God. She was convinced that he gave a false confession and contacted Steven Drizen or Drizen. He was a professor at Northwestern and an expert in false confessions. Oh my God. I want to go to lunch with that guy. Right. It's fascinating. I know. He looked into the case and in 2014, published a detailed report about how cops used deceit and pressure to get Chris to confess. They also fed him information about the case that made his confession seem credible. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to, I'll put some bullets here of all the bullshit that happened during the interrogation and the trial. Aside from no match to the DNA. Right. That's Come my on. I'm stuck on the, you know, science behind it. And the judge is like, no, 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 no. Well, we've already done this. Let's just yeah. keep it closed. There's the guys it's in jail, care. who cares? Yeah. What a dick. What an yeah. asshole. So main one being no DNA match. Mm-hmm. Come on. After Chris lawyered up and he was arrested, they continued questioning him, but they wouldn't let the lawyers in the room with them. The lawyers what? were put in a separate office where they could watch the questioning from a TV and they were only allowed to consult with Chris during breaks of the interview. And the, and the attorneys made no objection. I was about to say, where are they to be like, no, I will be with my client. Thank you. Apparently they had no objection. Um, Mickey mouse lawyers. Yeah. And the early interviews when they told him like, well, your buddy Ben is now implicating you. Mm -hmm. And Chris was like, shit. Okay. I wasn't at the crime scene though. Ben never said that, but Ben never implicated Chris in this. Oh, yeah. I, I could have guessed that. Yeah. Yeah. When they found out that Ben nor Chris were matched to the DNA and said there must be a third person there, they suggested Jeremy Sargis as as the third person. Chris had just come it? up with that. Yeah. They didn't, They said something like, we know your friend Jeremy Sargis was there too. And Chris was just like, okay, sure. They did, He did not offer that up. Oh, my God. How'd they even know his name? Because he was a river rat? Yeah, I think yeah. he was just in the mix even after that when jeremy's dna didn't match chris was so scared about losing the immunity that he told him that it was actually ben's friend mike but he didn't know him and didn't know his last name and carol dodge noted from watching the the tapes that mike was clearly made up Mm. he just put he was like she said it was just so clear that he just wanted the interrogation to stop yeah he just threw out a name it was very obvious most if not all of the polygraph res- results the failing the question about if he was at the scene passing when he said jeremy sarge's name all bullshit they said you failed when they needed him to keep going and pass when they just like set the whole scenario they had the story in their head and they just kind of moved some parts to make it make sense oh my blatant corruption like this just makes me so sad i know and discouraged i'm like oh god i know I'm sorry the world is failing you, Chris. I know. And you should, if you watch the tapes, like he is young. He's just, I'm like, you're just a baby. Yeah. I mean, it just looks like, I don't know. Well, my story last week were babies too, but yeah. At trial officer Furman, the, the one Chris knows and trusted, testified that Chris knew what Angie was wearing before he saw the crime scene photos. Like that's how they made mm. his confession credible. Yeah. but the tapes proved that Chris didn't mention the clothing until after he saw the crime scene photos he oh, just God. lied and the whole time Chris like I just trusted what officer Furman was telling me like I know him oh. he was telling me I was going to get the death penalty I just yeah even when cop he, you are being screwed right in front of your face you're like I still trust authority yeah I'm I telling me he didn't know that cops could lie to him he was like what Destiny Osborne, the girl who testified at trial that she overheard Ben and Chris talking, and it was because Angie had been money, later said that she didn't even know Ben Hobbs. What? Police threatened her with a drug charge unless she testified, so she did, but the entire thing was made up. <gasps> she said that years later. Why are they so out to get him? <sighs> Chris, I'm still in my bullet. Chris Jesus. also got facts about the case wrong. He said that the crime happened at 1 a.m., but Angie was with friends at 12.30 a.m. That was verified. And the autopsy showed that her bladder was full, which indicated that she had been asleep for a while when she was attacked. So it was definitely Uh, not 1 a.m. Yeah. And then this one, I I guess they figured out in 2007 when the Innocence Project tested the hair, the strands of hair, but the semen and strands of hair found at the scene came from the same person. Oh, so when it shit. didn't match Chris or Ben, the cops were like, there must have been a third person there. No, it was all one person.
1: So oh, in 2007, when yeah. they learned that
0: and they knew that it didn't match Chris, that it should have been reconsidered. Yeah, for sure. So there's just a plethora of reasons of why he should have never been charged with this. Mm-hmm. And with Steven's detailed report, the National Innocence Project took on Chris's case. Good. His attorney filed for a motion for post-conviction relief, and in 2017, he and the district attorney reached an agreement that vacated the rape charge and the murder sentence was reduced to time served. So Chris was finally released after 20 years. Oh, my God. And what lump sum did he get? Uh, we will get there. <sighs> so he's, he's finally out of prison and now the Innocence Project, Carol Dodge, everyone is determined to find the real perpetrator, whoever semen that was. Mm-hmm. The sample's been in CODIS for years. It's never gotten any hits. So the Idaho Innocence Project started working with Parabon to develop a phenotype snapshot. Let's get CeCe a- more in here. Are you kidding? No. Did you know? No. Is she involved?
1: Of uh, course oh, she I'm is.
0: I'm getting there. Of course she is. Um, it's my next paragraph. Just let me get through it, girl. Okay. But there's just like a sense that we should be, we should know her or work with her in some capacity. I want to work okay. for her. Okay, let's reach out. Okay. They develop a phenotype snapshot, which gives the picture of what the murderer looks like based on DNA. It -hmm. gives like a little rendering. Yeah, They found that he was of Northern European descent. He had fair skin, brown, hazel eyes, light brown, dark blonde hair, and few freckles, almost none. They also enlisted the help of none other than CeCe Moore. Hey. Hey. I really didn't. Okay, great. Well, you knew when I said parabon and you know well the moment dna and genealogy and mm. the whole thing parabon starts coming up i'm like there's only one one chick to go to there's only one person for the job and that's cc Moore. if you're a loyal listener you've probably heard her name and other stories she's a genealogist and badass who has solved several cold cases using dna and building out family trees based on genealogy databases which most exactly- cases she solved have been decades old she saw solved Paul Franzak,
1: which mm-hmm. I just did a
0: story on. She yep. solved Linda Slayton, like 42 years later. I mean, she's, I yeah. And cases where the person that is eventually arrested doesn't have a criminal background. Yeah. Like she yeah. just can find anyone. Mm-hmm. Totally off the radar. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly what she did for this case. She uploaded the DNA into a public database like Ancestry.com, 23andMe. Y'all know the ones. Mm-hmm. And they got a hit for someone they believed was a close relative to the murderer. Yes. The match was to Michael Usury Sr. Okay. Michael Usury Sr. lived in Jackson, Mississippi. And about 15 years prior, he submitted his DNA for a genealogy project at his church. The church put it in some small database and that database was later bought by ancestry. Okay. So I don't even think he realized that yeah. anyone had access to this. Again, he wasn't an, an exact match, so he's cleared, but they start building out his family tree to mm-hmm. see who fit the age, who lived in the area at the time. See Moore, if you're listening, I would work for free in order to build out that family tree based on oh my God. Facebook. Like you just you use all the resources we have, which is pretty much social media. You yeah. just build that family tree. I would love it. How fun. So they narrow it down to six people. One of whom lived in Twin Falls, Idaho, which is like two hours from Idaho Falls. Mm-hmm. So Idaho Falls police followed this person to get a DNA sample. And one day he walked out of the building, spit out a big old wad of chewing tobacco, got in his car and drove off. It disgusting on so many levels. But... I know. They collect the tobacco. Blah. I'd be like, they I'm put not Put it in their it. mouth. <laughs> They're like, yummy. They taste it. Oh my mm-hmm. God. They're like, you get it. I'm not getting that. Yeah, you get that. But everyone points to their nose. Yeah. Yeah. Dibs on not getting that. Yeah. Well we'll find another way, surely. <laughs> they sent it off to the lab and the results came back. Not a match. In fact, he was a more distant relative. Oh shit. Next they considered Michael Usery Jr. That's the original match who did the church genealogy project. His son. Okay. Yeah. Michael Jr. was living in New Orleans when they found him, but in 1996, he was 19 and had traveled to Idaho during the time Angie was murdered because he had a lot of friends that lived there. Okay, let's get him. Even more concerning is he was a filmmaker who made pretty dark films, one of which was called "Murderabilia" about a girl who was brutally stabbed to death. And cops thought maybe Chris was actually telling the truth when he said, Ben's friend Mike. Oh my God, stop. Is this, is this Mike? Maybe that wasn't made up. Wow. They question Michael and get his DNA and no match. It was just a coincidence that he was at in Idaho during the time of the murder. What crazy. Oh God. God. However, he was traumatized by this whole experience. He right. was pissed at the database and, and ancestry and the cops. He, he was just so mad. Why? So to, because he, he felt like his and his dad's privacy was violated. He was stressing out because the sample, the DNA testing took like a month. So he was just like, what if I'm falsely accused of this? Oh, yeah, that part, I get. 20 years. I get that. I get the month part, but you you gave your sample DNA to us. He didn't. uh, His dad did. Take it up with him. Yeah. So to bring attention to what he thought was a faulty system and a violation, again, of his dad's privacy, mostly, he started making a documentary about the whole thing and asked Carol Dodge to be a part of it, which she agreed. Talking shit about this? I'd be like, well, they're solving my daughter's case, so no, but thanks. Yeah. Well, she agreed. As they started talking more, he shifted the focus of the documentary away from the intrusiveness of the DNA databases to finding Angie's killer and bringing more awareness to the case. And he called it Angel Falls, The Death of Andy, Angie Dodge. Okay. Isn't that nice? That is nice. I okay. just started working with Carol on it more and was like, I really like her. And this is bullshit. Oh, that was nice. So it turned into a good thing. Yeah. So CeCe Moore is back at square one with this family tree. By now it's 2018. And she noticed that there's an early marriage that had broken up and she couldn't find anything on the wife after the breakup or any records of kids. If they had kids. So she's thinking maybe the marriage broke up. If there were kids, they went with her, the mom Mm -hmm. who got remarried. Changed right. her name and then changed her kid's last name to the new guy's name. Uh huh. That's exactly what happened. Of course it is. Cece. Cece's like I don't her know first rodeo. She's like, here's what happened. Yeah, I think she had the the wife's name and was like, I can't find anything after her divorce. This doesn't make sense. Okay, okay, so this stemmed from the six they found related to the killer. No, Michael usury Sr. is the original match. His family tree. Yeah. There's a. I think she dated it back to like the 1800s, but. There's an earlier marriage that broke up, and she couldn't find what came of the right. wife or kids, Okay. if they even had kids. So there's like a missing piece that she's like, where are the? Where's where's this line? Yeah, the limb the limb ends, on your yeah. and you're like, yeah, yeah. She's like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, they got divorced. She didn't die, so like, what what else? Yeah. And did they have kids? It didn't say zero kids. They just there was no record. So that is what happened. They got divorced. The wife remarried, took the kids, changed the kids' last name, mm-hmm. and hers. Okay. She found an obituary of the woman in Missouri because she knew her. She knew her name, and the obituary yeah. mentioned the original marriage. So she verified. The obituary said that she was survived by her daughter Linda drips and two grandchildren, Tracy and Brian drips. So Cece's like, okay, homegirl had a grandson that matches the age. Let's look at this guy. His full name was Brian Lee Dripps, Sr. So she called Idaho Falls PD and asked that they look into him. And they were shocked to learn that they had already talked to him as part of a neighborhood canvas five days after Angie was murdered. They talked to him in a neighborhood canvas because he lived right across the street from Angie. Oh, my God. CC, you've done it again. You've done it again, you smart bitch. <laughs> you smart son of a bitch. <laughs> In 2019, they tracked down Brian, who lives about five hours away at this point, I think in Caldwell, Idaho. After following him for an hour, he flicks a cigarette out of his car window, but they lost it. No. It was, was traffic. cars drove over it. And They're like, can't do that. Yeah. So the next day, same thing. He flicked a cigarette out of the window and they stopped traffic and someone gets it. Badass. What if he like looked in his rear view mirror and was like, what the hell are y'all doing? Uh, They were in plain clothes too. I don't know. He could have. And they are just (laughs) like, what a a bunch of weirdos. What weirdos? There are weird people out there, man. Scary. You got to be careful. Mind your P's and Q's. Stay alert. Mm -hmm. After over 20 years and 100 DNA samples, they finally found a match. On May 15th, 2019, Brian Dripps was walking out of the bank when cops surrounded him. He agreed to come to the station for questioning. And after five hours, they presented him with the DNA evidence. He asked for a cigarette and says, quote, I'm sure you want to get this on tape. You got me dead right on the DNA. <laughs> I'll give credit where credit is due. You nailed me. You got He's it. like, I can't think of anything to argue that. Yeah. Wow. So who, let's get into this guy. What's I his will. story? What's his problem? He confessed that he raped and murdered Angie and that he acted alone. When they called Carol Dodge to tell her that they got a match and someone was in custody, she was overwhelmed with emotions. Then she learned who it was, and she was pissed. She said, quote, Brian Dripps, you've got to be shitting me. I begged them to take DNA at the time, and they told me to let them do their jobs. Okay. See, to take his DNA at the time. She's, you want something done quick? Ask a man. You want something done right? <laughs> Ask CeCe Moore. <laughs> I know. But honestly, but- that is infuriating. And they said, let us do our jobs? Screw you, man. I'm telling you, here's a lead. Hmm. Why was, why was she suspicious? And he lived across the street. Just go and get everyone's. Yeah. So Carol said that she sat in front of Angie's apartment and in front of Brian's house right after Angie's funeral and was looking in Angie's bedroom window from her car. I don't know if that's why she was adamant that they get DNA from the across the street neighbor, because Mm -hmm. maybe she realized that he too could probably see into her bedroom window. Mm -hmm. But at the time of his arrest, she was still pissed about it saying this could have been solved 23 years ago. They even questioned him. They just didn't get a sample. With the new arrest, Chris Tapp was granted a full exoneration in July 2019. Because remember, even though he was released, he still had a murder conviction on his record. Oh, my God. They just gave him time served. So they just reduced the sentence. But he still had a conviction. That's gone. Chris's friends and supporters wore shirts that said, we told you so and cheered as he was declared innocent. Carol Dodge among them. She celebrated. Chris then said, quote, I'm so thankful and grateful for what everyone has done for me. But Carol, she has been like a second mom. If it wasn't for Carol's perseverance and drive, then none of this would have ever transpired for me. If she hadn't sat down and watched interrogation tapes and seen how bad it was, then none of this would have happened. I'm so in debt to her. <gasps> Goosebumps. How rare, I wonder, is that the, the I mean, victim's mother and fought to t- get him out? Oh, my God. And the one convict falsely accused of it are like mother and son. I know Brian got a plea deal. So in February, 2021, he pled guilty to first degree rape and murder and got life in prison and has to serve at least 20 years before he's eligible for parole. He was 55 at the time. So at the bare minimum, he'd get out when he's 75, but I don't, he's not going to get out. Yeah. I don't think. No, he's already had a life of freedom. He's done. Um, yeah, for real. Chris Tapp married his wife, Stacy in May 2019. He sued, y'all, there are developments, and I'm about to say them, but just stick with me. We are not done. It's really sad. Chris Tapp married his wife, Stacey, in May 2019. He sued the city of Idaho Falls for wrongful, wrongful conviction, and in 2022, he won $11.7 million. No. Hell yeah. I mean, yeah, but like for 20 years, I was hoping at least a million a year. Oh, yeah, true. In August 2023, his wife, Stacy died in a car accident. No. A few months later, no. on November 5th, 2023, Chris uh-huh. died in Las Vegas after an accidental fall that resulted uh-huh. in a head injury. The incident happened on October 29th. Uh-huh. He was rushed to the hospital and he died a week later. He was uh-huh. only 47 years old. In January 2024, last month, Las Vegas PD announced that they have ruled Chris's death a homicide. after the coroner had found that he had blunt force trauma and someone else reported that there was a fight in his hotel room shortly before the quote accident. So now they're investigating Chris's murder. (gasps) Isn't that horrible? Holy 20 years for murder. He did not commit. Finally got exonerated. Finally got reward money a year and a half later. Not even he is murdered. (gasps) Isn't that sad? Oh, my So God. the Dateline special tomorrow night, is a, it's a two-hour special on his life. About his oh, life. I'll be, we'll be watching. Yeah. Um, Jared Furman, the officer that Chris knew, went on to be mayor of Idaho Falls. He died in 2022. Um, the one who told him he was going to get the gas chamber? Yeah, he went on to be mayor. Wow. Crazy? But he recently died. Not as choked up about that one, to be honest. I know. Isn't that sad? That I, is- I could not get over that about Chris's Me murder. Me neither. That's insane. Is yeah. Carol still alive? Carol still alive and is a badass. Oh my God. She's working for CeCe Moore now. Damn it. <laughs> That's not true, y'all. She's not. <laughs> but that she is took the position. insane story of Angie Dodge. So sad.
1: If that you are wor- so
0: wondering sad. about the family connection, of the usury family Mike brian Mm drips because i was wondering i was like so were they related did it just did the dna just fail i don't know what happened i believe brian drips was the first or second cousin once removed from the usury family Mm -hmm. it was distant enough to where the michael jr had never heard of him he was like i have no idea what that is so it probably came from brian's biological dad's side you mean i guess and then after they got divorced yeah, yeah wow! So that that is, is, isn't that insane? That Poor shit. Chris. Poor he Chris. and his wife died within months in their forties. Oh my god, that is so sad. They didn't have I any know. children, I guess. I I think she had children from previous mm-hmm. relationships. Oh my god, she actually had a baby that died, but what she had the fuck. I know her obituary said survived by. I think a daughter too, who is older, but preceded in death by a son. And I'll look that up. And the birth year and birth, uh, I mean, sorry, the, same. the birth year and the death year are the same. Oh, God. That's oh so my sad. God. Isn't that tragic? Tragic. That's a bummer of a story. But I'm so glad they finally got justice. Thanks to CeCe Moore. It was so solvable. That's such a bummer. That is such a bummer. For no reason, he spent 20 years in jail. Let's check this guy across the street that we're yeah. already talking to. We're gathering the river rats DNA. Just ask for this, guys. Yeah. It's no big deal. Wow. Five days after her murder, they talked to him. <sighs> hmm. I mean, I'm telling you, it's like the Linda Slayton case. Poor Chris. Poor Chris. God, that is such a bummer. I know. Um, so I'll jump into Patreon shout outs. Hey, Paige, Tracy, Jane, Emily, Emma, and Georgia. Thank y'all for joining thank. y'all welcome. And then I have some custom shout outs. The first is from Leslie. I would like to shout out my badass sister, Kara, who never fails to big sister me, even when I don't want her to. She owns Lush Art, an art studio in Perry, Georgia. She works hard to bring a fun experience to everyone who takes a class. The funny thing is she'll never hear this because she's a fraidy cat who doesn't listen to true crime, but her manager and right-hand gal, Heather, will probably let her know. Hey, Heather. Hey, Heather. Hey, Kara. Hey, Leslie. Um. Hey, Leslie. The second one's from Jamie. My custom shout out is for my best friend, Emily. Shout out, Emily. Not only does she have four kids, but her and her husband run three businesses. Holy oh shit. My God. She always finds time to be the best mom and friend. From sitting by me in my labor and delivery room during my 48 hour labor. Oh, bless you. God. To sending me flowers for Valentine's. She's always been there for me. I don't know how she does it all. Check out her small business on Facebook. Designs on Birch. And then she linked it. She does custom tumblers, shirts, coasters, things like that. Oh, that's cool. Designs on Birch, B-I-R-C-H. The last one's from Catherine. She said, my two-year-old is having a pacemaker put in on March 15th. That's her second heart surgery. I was hoping to shout out Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Choa. Choa. She goes, I'm going to read the Instagram message that she just sent. She said, a little more about Amelia. She's so cute. She was born with Down syndrome, so she's extra special, racking that extra chromosome. She had a hole in her heart that was repaired at five months old. She's the best. People are still the worst. Mm -hmm. We just love Choa, especially the cardiac unit. Choa is so good. And she sent me a picture of Amelia. She is so stinking cute. I want to hug her. I have no doubt. Go Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Y'all rock. Y'all rock. Thank y'all, everyone, for listening. So much for listening. Y'all are the best. People are the worst. Bye.